Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa. A passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about women's football. We hear from one of Africa's leading female players, Jean Seninde of Uganda, who's played for Queen's Park Rangers in England. Lots on the English Premier League too, as the video assistant referee was an issue on the opening weekend. And we speak to Nigeria forward Alex Iwobi, who's moved to Everton and was once told he'd never be good enough for the Arsenal first team. I was in school when I was hearing that. So when you're in school and hearing that, you're thinking, ah, oh, maybe you should, football's not for you, you don't want to play no more. That's coming up later. It's been an eventful week in African football. Vahid Hali Honsdic appointed coach of Morocco, replacing Hervé Renard, and told to win the Africa Cup of Nations by 2023. He's the man who did so well with Algeria at the 2014 World Cup. Silas Tete appointed the Sierra Leone coach. The Ghanaian won the under-20 FIFA World Cup with Ghana in 2009. Uh, but the Sierra Leone Sports Ministry says it's not recognising the appointment. The Liberia Football Association banned referee Josephus Torjala for two years for accepting a bribe of $100 after a second-tier relegation playoff match. And here in Zimbabwe, controversy as the government-appointed Sports and Recreation Commission says it's asked FIFA to remove the board of the Zimbabwe FA and replace it with a normalisation committee. Otherwise, it may suspend the ZIFA board itself. One story I found very fascinating is that Uganda national team forward Alan Kambade has joined El Guna in Egypt and becomes the fifth Cranes player to join an Egyptian club since the end of the recent Nations Cup. Uh, the coach too was snapped up by a club in Egypt. So what's going on, Ida? You're right, Steve. It's been an absolute frenzy. And you've mentioned the coach, Sebastian de Sabre, there. I remember the rumors surrounding his future with Uganda actually started way before the Africa Cup of Nations. And sure enough, as soon as the cranes were bundled out of the round of 16 by Senegal, I believe it was barely three days later that he was announced as the new head coach of Pyramids FC. However, it's important to note that the Egyptian Premier League is generally within this habit, Steve. We might be paying a bit more attention to it now since it's coming just after the Nations Cup. Last season, though, Zamalek signed 10 players, while Pyramids FC completed the transfer of 19 players, Steve. But with all this, please bear in mind that clubs can only have a maximum of four foreign players registered during the season. As you said there, Kambade being the latest Ugandan to sign for the Egyptian Premier League. However, there is huge East African interest and not just from the Ugandan side, but indeed from here in Kenya as well on that side. Now, former Kenyan Premier League player and Ugandan midfielder Kali Daucho, who happened to be a fan favorite here in Kenya when he was playing for the likes of Gormahia and Tasca FC, did get snapped up by Misra El Makar. And Kenyan international John Avere, who did take part in the Nations Cup, has been pushing for a move from his Kenyan Premier League side here to Tanta SC in Egypt, although that's been a bit of a long, drawn-out battle, which is a story for another day, Steve. But another Kenyan, Cliff Nyakea, who did not take part in the Afghan, actually signed for FC Masar. 
with focus on the leagues here in East Africa, specifically the Kenyan Premier League and the Ugandan League as well, Steve. There are a couple of reasons why the players would be attracted to the Egyptian Premier League and other leagues within North Africa. The pay in the Egyptian Premier League is quite good compared to the leagues here in East Africa and their facilities are also top notch. For those who are fortunate enough to be in Egypt for the Nations Cup, I mean, we did get to experience just how good their infrastructure is, especially surrounding the sports industry. And not just playing facilities, Steve, training facilities as well are quite good. So this can only go to motivate the players. And the structures within the 18-team Egyptian Premier League are also quite good. You find that they don't really or aren't bogged down by some of the very basic problems that, for example, here in Kenya, I will admit that we suffer from, for example, the likes of sponsorship or a lack of sponsorship. So it's a well-oiled machine and it's much more organized and structured compared to to some of the leagues here in East Africa. Yes, I was so impressed with what I saw in Egypt at the Nations Cup. Well, to women's football now here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And at the Nations Cup, I met up with one of Africa's leading female players, Jean Seninde of Uganda, whose clubs that she's played for include Queen's Park Rangers in England. Jean was at the Nations Cup as a CAF ambassador, having made her way to Egypt from the FIFA Women's World Cup in France, where she was watching the action. She's 26 and moved from Uganda to play in England. Jean is a defender. She's active off the pitch and runs the Seninde Women's Development Cup. The fourth edition is on next weekend in Uganda. I asked her about her career. I started playing at eight in Uganda um, with my brothers. Then, I, I mean, I played through school. Then in search of opportunities, I got a chance to move to the UK and I've been playing with London Phoenix played for Crystal Palace ladies, played for Queen's Park Rangers and obviously with the national team. So now I'm enjoying my career. I think it hasn't been bad. I mean, now there are loads of youngsters coming through. They are very good footballers, so I need to fight a little bit more. So I think for me now it's about working hard, getting back uh, to keep playing at the high level and also learn other things of the field that I really enjoy so much doing at the moment. Was it difficult to break into club football in the UK? Um, Yes, I think moving from Uganda to the UK, the style of play is completely different because I think in Uganda it's more focused on the fitness and the running and coming to the UK everything is a bit more tactical, more technical. Uh, Obviously I think at that point I wasn't the most technical player I wasn't the most tactical player so it's been about learning over the years and now I feel like I'm more intelligent with the game I'm I'm good uh, tactically Uh, having done my football badges, coaching badges now I understand the the game a lot more and I think I've learnt a lot from moving from Africa to the UK but obviously it wasn't very easy it takes a lot of sacrifices I left my family I left my friends and I mean living in the UK it's been like a, a step that I've had to take to be brave but yeah I think it's paid off because I love challenging myself so it's a big learning experience, like you say, but there aren't that many African players with clubs in England. Why is that? Um, do you know, it's quite hard to answer. I think 
obviously now with England, from what I know, the rules are different. To play in the top leagues, you have your country has to be top 40, something like that. So most African countries obviously fall outside of the 40. And if you see players like Asisa, who are from Nigeria, I don't know which other African players actually have played in the WSL League of England. You see that Nigeria is 38 in Africa, so I mean in, in the world. So it's, I think, mainly the ranking that's affecting that and the rules of the English game. But I think with time, things are changing. There are lots of African players now playing abroad, not necessarily in England, which is a positive, uh, and, and they're really good, which is exciting. So the Women's World Cup, uh, exciting. It was a big addition. I think it drew a lot of attention, and uh, African teams, for the first time, too, got beyond the group stage. What were your impressions of the Women's World Cup? Wow, it was the best World Cup I've ever experienced before. I think it was better than the Men's World Cup in Russia. I don't know why I say that, but I think because the whole buzz before the World Cup was amazing, and then coming into the World Cup itself, starting with the Women's Football Convention, I mean, I was so honoured to be a part of that as a speaker. And for me, that was a massive step for women's football, uh, having so many ambassadors getting involved in the game. And then the quality of playing on the field was just over the moon. Um, obviously, teams like USA took it to another level. But also the African teams for the first time, Nigeria and Cameroon qualifying out of the group stage, that was a, a big plus. So I think overall I enjoyed the experience. At least I watched a few games out there which was, I think it's one of the best, I, at this point I feel like women's football has a direction and we, we can see where it's going, we just need to keep working hard and be consistent. Yes, exciting times. That's one of Africa's leading female players, Jean Seninde of Uganda. And the fourth edition of the Jean Seninde Women's Development Cup is on next weekend in Uganda. And for the first time, it features a team from outside the country. That's a Kinondori Girls Football Club from Tanzania. Uh, Well, Ida, with the Africa Cup of Nations, we didn't really have much time to talk about the Women's World Cup in France in June and July. Certainly was a great success, wasn't it? Absolutely, and it was incredible to witness the huge turnout and attendance at the stadiums. Focusing on the final, especially at the Lyon Stadium, it was packed to the rafters. And not just with fan attendance, but also the interest generated on social media to do with the Women's World Cup was amazing. The tournament was trending on social media on almost every match day. You know, a lot of people on social media were talking about the fact that the Women's World Cup, to some degree, was actually more entertaining than the Afghan that was happening concurrently at some point. Lots of counter-attack, lots of attacking football. And look, it has been expanded or plans are there to expand it from 24 teams to 32. And I'm sure as Africa, we will feel a benefit to that, Steve. Yes, more places for Africa, hopefully, at the expanded Women's World Cup. And a female referee, Stephanie Frappard, who handled the Women's World Cup final, went on to make history on Wednesday as she was in charge of the UEFA Super Cup between Liverpool and Chelsea, the first woman to officiate a major men's match in European football. Uh, Now, as Jean mentioned there, the only African besides her that you can think of to have made it in women's football in England is Nigeria's Asisat Oshwala, who played for Liverpool and Arsenal ladies, then went to China and is now with Barcelona. So I wonder if we'll see more Africans breaking into women's football in England. 
I think we will, Steve. There are already quite a number of African female players who are making huge strides in the game. Tembi Katlana of South Africa headlines this list for me. And her career has simply exploded. And especially after the last edition of the Africa Women's Cup of Nations, she did go on to beat a Sissert at the CAF Women's Player of the Year Award. And she's now currently playing in the Chinese League, which is a similar route that we're seeing as Sissert also followed before making her big money move to Barcelona. So there is hope for a number of African female players in the game. And before her move to China, Katlana was playing in the U.S. and her previous team, Houston Dash, has actually been known to take up quite a number of African players, the likes of Linda Motlaho, who was the captain of the South African under-20 women's national team, was also playing for the likes of Houston Dash. So I would say that there's a lot of potential and there is a lot of promise. In Kenya, we do have our very own Ese Akida, who has become one of the few female players in the country to get a stint abroad where she is a player in Israel. And we are hoping that a lot of players will be able to follow that particular trajectory. But before we get there, there are a lot of problems that we have to deal with on a basic level. I look at Kenya, for example, and in the East African region, Uganda and the likes of Rwanda are making marked improvements in terms of how they treat their women's game. However, with Kenya, there was a huge improvement actually around 2016. But since then, the women's game has declined. There was a point at which uh, before the current federation regime, the women's game had been abandoned. It's uh, since come back to life, but there are still huge problems to do with sponsorship. And uh, quickly going back to Seninde there, it's a great initiative to develop the women's game. And it's also equally as great that some of the stars of the men's team have been known to offer their support. Dennis Onyango, Uganda Crane's goalkeeper extraordinaire, offered a coaching clinic in the 2018 edition so quite interested to see how this year's event will go and all the best to her. Indeed, a great initiative that from Uganda's Jean Seninde. Well, the rest of Planet Sport Football Africa this week brought to you by Passion for Sport. It's English Premier League all the way. Uh, firstly, we turn to social media. Last week, we asked if you think that Ivory Coast winger Nicolas Pepe will be a hit at Arsenal, having joined them for a club record fee. Here's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments. Yes, thanks then, Steve. And we'll go to Facebook first and Arshavin Pakamwa Dixon in Malawi, who says, yes, for me, I expect to see Pepe shine with the Gunners because he's a skillful player and he has the confidence to make something happen. He will enjoy the English league just like Sadio Mane and Mo Salah have done. Well, to WhatsApp now and Ibrima Jawara in the Gambia says... I hope so. I have the belief that he could be very helpful to Arsenal. He has the speed, the power and the pace. And Emmanuel E. Shamaki in Nigeria agrees. I think he stands a good chance to shine if he continues to put down some hard work, as the Gunners are good at giving players from Africa a chance, says Emmanuel. And Andrew Jassy is in the Gambia. I think he will try to adapt to the EPL system because the leagues of the world are different and their styles of football are different, says Andrew. He is a fine player. I saw him play in the Africa Cup of Nations recently and he played very well. 
A binner in Nigeria also thinks that Pepe will shine. I think he will be a hit, says a binner, considering the fact that he will play alongside very technical attacking teammates such as Aubameyang and Lacazette. Their experience will lead him to greater heights. Malik E. Bojang in The Gambia believes it may take the Ivorian a little while to reach his best. I believe he will shine, but not this season, says Malik. It may take him two or three seasons to fully settle in England. Joachim Mudanga is in Uganda. Watching how he plays and his aggressiveness, I believe he will deliver for the club, says Joachim. But he will do so when he is not put under so much pressure from the club because of the size of his transfer fee. So when given time to get used to the league, he will really work for the club, says Joachim. Jemo, a Cameroonian living in the United States, doesn't think the transfer fee will be an issue. I think he's definitely worth the money and hopefully he'll live up to the club's expectations, says Jemo. I hope he adjusts really quickly and shines for the Gunners, just as other Ivorians have in the past, such as Abue, Colo Toure and Giovinho. We always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sports Football Africa, and Michael Mboka in the Gambia takes up that same point. I'm a very big fan to Nicolas Pepe. He does his footballing you know, skills and, and other things very, very well. There are a lot of blacks that have passed through Arsenal and they did their wonders, their best. Nicolas will do more than that. But here now is Ali Mami Fafana in the Gambia who expresses a note of caution. You see some certain players, they will come from certain leagues, some certain country. They are the top in that league, but when they came in England, they cannot perform. So let's see from when the league starts till January. What kind of value we bring to the league and to the Arsenal team? Because he's very young and he is very talented in the league he's playing there in France. So let's see what he's going to do in England and the value he's going to add in the Arsenal team. To Malik Guy now in the Gambia, who says, I think he is overrated, but with time I think he can sparkle in the Premier League considering his age and talent. I wish him all the best, although he's now a rival of mine as I'm a Blues fan, says Malik. Lee Sise in Malaysia says Pepe is indeed a fantastic talent, but he'll need some time to adjust to the English game. But uh, Alfred Ndimba in Malawi is positive, though. I'm waiting to see him do well, says Alfred. I'm sure he will adjust, and he is worth that money. And Asunge in Cameroon agrees. He's a pacey player, good on the wing, and he can penetrate into the middle of the park. He's an embodiment of the Arsenal playing style, and hence he's going to be a plus and not a minus for the London Giants, says Asunge. But uh, Musa Gibber in the Gambia is not so certain. I'm sure that he will shine, but the price tag is too much. The Gunners have overpaid for his services, says Musa. But by contrast, Alhagi Saidi Khan, also in the Gambia, says definitely he will shine. Look at his qualities and the eye for goal that he possesses. I think the fee is a bargain for the Gunners. And finally, on the question of whether Pepe will shine at Arsenal, Ernest Williams in the Gambia says simply, no, I don't think so.
So there you are, Steve. A whole range of comments there. But uh, most people agreeing that Pepe will fit in well at Arsenal, even if it does take him a little while. Well, yes, I'm one of those. Uh, quiet debut for Pepe, second half substitute in their win over Newcastle. Thanks very much, uh, Adrian. Before we go to Stuart Weir in the UK, one surprise transfer on deadline day was Nigeria forward Alex Iwobi leaving Arsenal for Everton on a five-year deal for a fee that could rise to $41 million. Now, going back a few weeks, Aloashina Okoleji spoke to Iwobi at the Africa Cup of Nations. At that time, he felt he wasn't going anywhere. Of course, of course I'll stay. The only time I would consider leaving is if I'm not playing as a lot or maybe as much as I'd like to play. Obviously, my joy is to play football, not to just sit and always not play. So if it comes to that, then I'll have no choice but to leave. But I would always put up a fight to try and to play. And that's what I've been doing all my life. I've been doing it. We have big stars already. If they add another one, I'll just have to go and try and prove that I can do better than them. Earlier you spoke about, you know, um, you've had a period where they told you you weren't good enough for Arsenal and all that. I mean, for a young player, you hear that at a very young age, someone telling you in the academy that, you know what, you're not good enough, not even for a schoolboy contract. How, do you handle, how did you handle that? Um, well, it's always going to be mentally tough, especially I was in school when I was hearing that. So when you're in school and hearing that, you're thinking, ah, oh, maybe you should, football's not for you, you don't want to play no more. But it's always to have that self-motivation to believe that you can that you can actually do and prove your critics wrong and it's something that I was able to do over the years and I'm here today so it didn't affect me so whether someone tells me something negative I'll just see it and I'll just ignore it and try and prove to them that I'm better than what they think. Did you feel any sort of resentment or anger towards such individual who I mean at a young age could have broken your entire dream? Oh not at all I mean everyone's entitled to their own opinion I respect whatever they have to say I'm not, going, I'm not one to retaliate it's something I've I've not grown up to do that. Even though there's been times I have maybe done things out of line, but it's made me the person I am today. I've matured up, so I just have to focus and continue that same thing I had when I was 14, 15 with the age I am 23 now and push on over the career. So that interview done last month at the Nations Cup, Iwobi did leave Arsenal for Everton. And interesting there, he was told that he wasn't good enough for Arsenal, but he proved that he was, making 149 appearances for the Gunners and scoring 15 goals. Well, it was a high-scoring opening weekend in the Premier League. This weekend's big match is Manchester City against Tottenham on Saturday. Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. And Stuart, Man City starting the new season from where they left off, really. Well, Steve, isn't it great that the Premier League is back? And it certainly hit the ground running with Manchester City scoring five at West Ham to put them top and Liverpool 4-1 winners just behind them. And when you add that Manchester United, Spurs and Arsenal also won, it's just exactly the same as it was last season. Of course, Brighton find themselves in fourth place. I suppose you could actually say they're in a Champions League place. Um, we'd better mention that now because I just don't think it will last. Now, Africans to catch the eye included Aubameyang scoring the only goal for Arsenal in their win over Newcastle. Riyad Mahrez played 90 minutes for Manchester City, set up two goals, and Bernardo Silva sat on the bench. Perhaps things are looking up for the Algerian Mahrez, who struggled, of course, last year to be a first choice. We've talked a bit about Arsenal's new Ivorian signing, Pepe, and uh, he came on for the last 20 minutes but didn't really make much of an impression, but of course, time will tell. Now, 
With Manchester United playing Chelsea last weekend and Manchester City playing Tottenham this weekend, we already have two games involving last year's top six. Tottenham had to come from behind to beat newly promoted Aston Villa and they're playing away to Manchester City, who of course scored five last week. So that looks quite a daunting game for Tottenham to see if they can get their championship challenge underway. Yes, a difficult game indeed. And a brilliant start for Manchester United, beating Chelsea 4-0. They play away to Wolves on Monday. Can United fans expect a better season after that performance? Oh, I'm sure they do. But you'd have to say that while 4-0 over Chelsea was a great result, it may just have flattered United a bit, given that Chelsea hit the woodwork twice in the first half. And had Chelsea led 1-0 or then 2-1, it could have been a different story. But the facts are that Manchester United took their chances, scored four goals, and while Chelsea had more attempts on goal, they didn't take any of them. And Frank Lampard, the new Chelsea manager, described it as four individual errors letting his team down. Incidentally, Steve, Lampard played 429 games for Chelsea, and he never lost by four goals. He's had one game as manager, and he's lost by four goals. Well, a bad start for Lampard in the Premier League, but uh, much better, I thought, on Wednesday in the UEFA Super Cup, where they lost on penalties to Liverpool after a 2-2 draw after extra time. And some of Lampard's youngsters had a really good outing there. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, uh, how do you think Chelsea will do in the English Premier League this season, despite that uh, bad start uh, with that heavy defeat to Manchester United? You can give us your thoughts on Facebook, on our page Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now, Stuart Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santo was outspoken after a VAR decision went against his team in a goalless draw with Leicester, uh, though it's clear that the rules were applied correctly. Uh, Nuno said that the VAR decisions are affecting the spirit of the game. Well, before assessing Nuno's comments, let's remind ourselves what actually happened. In the weekend that changed the Premier League forever with the introduction of VAR, there were 40 VAR checks carried out and three decisions changed. Now, it's hard to say whether that's good news or bad. One could say that referees are getting 37 out of 40 decisions right. On the other hand, VAR sceptics will say that in the Newcastle Arsenal game, for example, eight VAR referrals took place and no decisions were changed, meaning that the game was held up unnecessarily eight times. The two controversial VAR interventions were when a Manchester City goal was ruled out for offside because Raheem Sterling's armpit was in an offside position. Correct decision, but many of us have big reservations about whether VAR should be ruling on such tiny marginal decisions. Wolves, as you say, thought that they had beaten Leicester, but the goal was disallowed because the ball had hit Willy Bolly on the arm as he jumped ahead it. The decision also reflected a change in the laws from last season, because last season the goal would have stood because handball was accidental. But the goal was ruled out because Wolves gained an advantage from the handball. And I have an awful lot of sympathy with Nuno's point that VAR interventions have changed the game, with matches being stopped 40 times during the weekend for VAR checks. Every goal being checked means that players and fans really don't know whether to celebrate. 
do you celebrate the goal and then be embarrassed that it was uh, offside, disallowed? Or do you wait two minutes and then suddenly celebrate? Or has the game moved on? So I have a lot of sympathy with him. Incidentally, Steve, just going back to the Willie Bolly incident, exactly a year ago, Bolly scored for Wolves against Manchester City with his arm and the goal stood. So perhaps there's a little bit of poetic justice there. Oh, really? I have to say, again, being at the Africa Cup of Nations where the VAR came in at the quarterfinal stage, it really does change the game in such a big way. I guess debate will continue as to whether it's a good thing or not. And just briefly, Stuart, uh, these new law changes came to the English Premier League for the first time last weekend. Eric Lamella of Spurs became the first person to get a yellow card for leaving the pitch not at the nearest point another thing introduced to save time, when he was being substituted. And another interesting one involving Brighton, because when Watford took a free kick, the ball struck Glenn Murray's elbow in the penalty area. But after a VAR check, no penalty was awarded because it was deemed to be accidental handball. And that's a fine example of something which the Premier League is now not awarding a penalty for, but which certainly in the Champions League last season would have been a penalty. So we have this distinction as to what is handball between UEFA and the Premier League. Have to see how all that works out then. Thanks very much, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.